0: Welcome back, folks. It's week 17 of the NFL season. Normally this would be the last week of the regular season, but bonus football, we get the extra game this year. I'm your host, the NFL always off season GM Fred, and we got a great show uh, planned for you here today. We're gonna run through our storylines, we're gonna make our predictions. As always, we got the unlikely hero of the week. And then also for our bonus segment this week, we're gonna start doing the NFL redraft. Uh, We're going to be running through picks 1 through 16, so make sure you stay tuned for the end there. It'll be a little bit of fun. We're going to shuffle guys around based on their performance of the first season here and see if we can get some interesting pairings. But I wanted to take some time here at the top on a little more serious note and take some time to mourn the loss of John Madden, uh, the the former NFL commentator, former Super Bowl winning head coach, who's had a, a huge impact on the game and basically what it is today. Uh He made the move quite early to the TV broadcaster booth and was absolutely electric. Everybody loved him. He's one of the most well-known announcers, not just in all of football, but all of sports. I, I really think he raised the bar and and basically held a lot of the people nowadays more accountable, gave them something to shoot for. And really, he he kind of changed the game in that regard. And really, it, it, it even inspired one of the most... uh well-known video games that comes out year after year and is one of the best sellers. It's Madden Football, and it's been going on for almost three decades. And the game itself has had a huge impact on myself, uh, many of the young adults alike. Uh, just because that sometimes that's some of your first introduction to football. Uh, you, you get to run around and adjust rosters and change jersey numbers and hire head coaches and stuff and and sign free agents. It, it was just a really cool concept that really influenced me and really helped develop my love for the game and a lot of people my age alike so I think that 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 has a huge impact and who knows maybe the game isn't what it is without John Madden uh without his endorsement without his uh his sound back and without his backing so uh rest in peace John Madden as uh, we continue forth here and I just wanted to make sure we got that off our chest because I feel like he's been a huge part of football but after that, we'll we'll start moving forward here. Without further ado, let's jump right into the next segment. My number one storyline from the previous week of NFL action here is going to be the Bills overtaking the New England Patriots for the AFC East crown. And essentially what's going on here is the, the Bills were a game out. They uh, had their last head-to-head matchup with the Patriots, and a win puts them in the AFC East driver's seat. And really... They did it convincingly. I know a lot of people mentioned that this game should have been a lot uh, bigger margin of victory than it was. But the Bills ended up getting the win, 33-21. to 21. And what's starting to be a, a vintage uh, Josh Allen performance, he throws for 314 yards, three touchdowns, and 67 yards on the ground uh, with no touchdowns. Uh, they did add one on the ground with uh, Devin Singletary, who was 12 for 39. But as you can see, the, the the engine behind this offense is clearly Josh Allen. And when he goes, they go. And really the name of this game, too, as well was, I believe they had a couple turnovers. Yeah, so Mac throws a couple picks, which really kind of set the Patriots behind. And he didn't take care of the ball like he had in the previous meeting when they had the big windstorm. Or like he has done for most of the season for the Patriots that have really kept them in contention. So when you add a couple extra possessions for a team like the Buffalo Bills and when Josh Allen's firing on all cylinders like he was on Sunday, they're a really tough team to beat. And um, the tail of the tape here as well is that the Buffalo Bills would just manhandled this game. 428 yards of offense to 288 by the Patriots. Uh, that's that's crushing. You're almost uh, 50% higher than what the Patriots, the Buffalo Bills are 50% higher than what the Patriots totaled in their, their total yardage. So they're, they're, Pretty easily move in the field. Time of possession. They're also at about 35 minutes to 25 by the Patriots. So, very very big win for the Buffalo Bills in the shape of the AFC playoff picture as things start to round out here. And it's going to come down to being a really big win in the AFC East as well too. I believe they're tied. Buffalo Bills hold the tiebreaker over them since they split the division. And uh, as they move forward, it's going to continue to have huge playoff implications. I think both teams still will get in here, but having that higher seed and getting to go against one of these other teams is going to be huge, and having home field advantage in that wild card round also going to be huge. So we'll have to keep an eye on things as they shake out here. My second biggest storyline from the weekend here is going to be the Colts continue their playoff push by beating the Arizona Cardinals 22-16. to and uh, I don't know if anybody watches the hard knocks thing that they do for the in-season stuff now uh, with the Indianapolis Colts. But it, they've been basically playing like it's been a playoff game for almost like four or five weeks now. And it definitely looks like it. This team is like physical. They they don't care who's out, who's in. They're going to give you their best shot every single snap, every single day. And it's, it's clear that they're going to be able to compete with just about anybody with how that defense is playing and with that ground attack. I believe the Colts were missing four of their offensive line starters, and they still got a win against a quality NFC playoff team right now. The Arizona Cardinals, I, I know they've been ice cold as of late, but they, they've they been an extremely solid team all year. They've been able to pretty much keep pace with just about anybody, except maybe the Detroit Lions. But other than that, I mean, they're still a good football team. theres You don't win 10 football games on accident. So – the, the Colts are hitting, getting hot at the right time. They're winning when it's gritty. It's not always beautiful. It's not always a good-looking game. But when Carson Wentz takes care of the ball like he did on Sunday, 225 yards and two touchdowns, no interceptions, uh, 18 for 28, they're going to be a threat to just about anybody. Jonathan Taylor, another easy 100-yard day, 27 carries, 108 yards. It's a four-yard average. Uh, he didn't he didn't hit pay dirt at all on Sunday, which is the only thing that. Uh, he didn't do that. He normally does. But nonetheless, when he's controlling the ground, they're really moving the chains and they're keeping the time of possession in their favor. It's going to be huge. And speaking of time of possession, they get about an extra 10 minutes over the Cardinals. when they It's 24.5 to 35.5. So that's always a recipe for victory. Uh, when we take a look at the turnover battle, uh, it's even here. There's zero. There was no turnovers in the game. But it's just really that time of possession, grinding it out, grounded them down and the Cardinals uh, get another tough loss here. Another tough loss uh, at home seems to be a kind of their bugaboo here this season where they, they can't win at home, but at least it seems as though Kyler Murray's getting a little bit better here. He goes for 74 yards on the ground. I know he had one big one uh, 245 445 yards through the air and a touchdown. I think they're really missing a, their key receiver in Deandre Hopkins it, he, he needs to have a main outlet on this offense. And when he has nowhere to go with the ball, it, it seems like he's forcing things. They're not getting a lot of separation down the field. Uh, I think Hopkins is going to be back in time for the playoffs. Don't quote me on that. But that's going to be huge for their, their prospects down the road here. The the defense continues to play tough, uh, holding Indianapolis to 22 points, even if they had four uh, backup offensive linemen in. It's still a big deal. Uh, keeping any win right now, any type of win you get, is going to be big here. So the, the Cardinals just need to get back on the board. They need to get back in shape for the playoffs here, and I think they're going to be able to do it one of these weeks. I know they got a tough one in Dallas this week. It's going to be tough for them to really squeak one out there as Dallas is kind of getting hot at the same time as well. But the Colts are really kind of forcing themselves into the playoff picture. Really a huge win for them. It's going to be, it's going to have big time playoff implications. I think they're kind of slotted in as that like three, four seed. I think they're a game out from Tennessee, so it's going to be interesting how that shakes out down the road here. In a game result that I really didn't see coming, uh, our third storyline is going to be the Tennessee Titans really get squeaking out a win over the excuse me, San Francisco 49ers on Thursday Night Football, 20-17. to 17. And really, the, the 49ers were kind of starting to hit their stride. They were kind of trying to make their case for a playoff push. And the Tennessee Titans just continue to find ways to win, That especially when everybody's counting them out. Uh, they still, once again, are playing without Derrick Henry. I think they got Julio back for this one. And uh, AJ Brown, but nonetheless, that they're they're getting wins when they need them, and they're not always pretty. They're not always going to look great. And I know Ryan Tannehill's looked very, very, very pedestrian since Derrick Henry's went out, But like I said in, the, in our last piece here with uh, the second team, the second excuse me, the second storyline, wins are wins this time of year. It don't matter if you win by thirty. It don't matter if you win by two or one. It's gonna be, it's gonna count the same in the win column. So 20 to 17, huge win. Ryan Tannehill finished with 209 yards, one touchdown, 22 for 29, efficient, taking care of the ball. Uh, they kind of had a multifaceted run attack here, with a uh, 31 yards by McNichols, Tannehill had 22, Hilliard had 20, and Deontay Foreman had 17. They're kind of splitting the carries all different kinds of ways there, with seven, five, and nine. And A.J. Brown, I think he's one of the biggest stories here. Getting him back was huge. He had a one of his vintage games as well, too. 11 catches, 145 yards, and a touchdown. So we can tell who the favorite target is there. Maybe it's the, the Julio effect opening things up for him as well, too, since Julio only finished with one catch. But A.J. Brown coming back is great for this offense. It sounds like Derrick Henry's going to be able to make it back for the playoffs, but uh, it sounds like also that the, the injury is going to – be very nagging for him maybe 70 to 80 uh, percent capacity when he does get back so that's that's not great but this defense is really starting to play good at the right time uh, they they end up holding the San Francisco 49ers to 389 yards which is not very good but when you're first when you're forcing two picks that's that's huge uh, they win the turnover battle plus two here on those two interceptions so you're adding two extra possessions for this offense that can really control the clock Uh, They split time of possession right down the middle. And really, when you look at the box score, other than the two picks, you would have thought that the Tennessee Titans lost this game. So that's really the name of the game here. Uh, For the San Francisco 49ers, it gets a little bit tougher here. The NFC playoff picture is extremely muddy in seeds about four through seven. And not sure how they're going to shake out here. And they really don't do themselves favors losing games like this so late in the season. But they're going to need to win out and maybe still get some help. So San Francisco 49ers might be on the outside looking in. And Tennessee Titans are in the driver's seat for that AFC South division uh, crown. The fourth storyline from the weekend here is going to be the Bengals dominating the Ravens. They get a huge win over a divisional foe here, 41-21. And I know the Ravens were really wounded in this one. I think it sounded like they only suited up like 14-15 defensive players total. And the Bengals really took it to him. It was like an old-fashioned division rivalry game. And it was really behind the the arm of Joe Burrow having an absolutely superhuman day. He had 525 yards passing, which is good for, I I believe, like fifth all-time in the history of a single game records. With four touchdowns, zero interceptions. They get 65 yards on the ground from Mixon and a touchdown. To add to his also six catches, 70 yards, and a touchdown through the air as well. And then also T Higgins and Jamar Chase both get 120 or excuse me, T Higgins, 194 and two tutties Jamar Chase, 125 and no tutties. But really this is an absolute monster aerial attack. They really exposed this, this Ravens defense that had been ailing in recent weeks. And I know the Ravens as well. They really didn't stay much of a shot in this one. Lamar sat out, Tyler Huntley sat out and they had Josh Johnson who's on his like 20th NFL team or something crazy like that. Uh, Playing average at best here, he's 304 yards, two tutties, and one pick. But when you're as wounded as the Ravens have it, it, it's starting to catch up with them here. They drop a few in a row now, and really they don't have any resemblance of a ground game. They ended up only with 39 yards on the ground, which is not their M.O. When you're you're forcing them to pass as much as they were, you're going to get a win just about every time. And when you take a look at the box score as well, 334 total yards to 575 by the – Bengals it, it was very a very big time mismatch and uh, the Bengals win the turnover battle as well too they're plus one Ravens minus one they have an interception by Josh Johnson as mentioned and really the time of possession it's it's 37 minutes to 23 minutes it's it's swinging widely in favor of the Bengals the Bengals have been a roller coaster ride all season just about as everybody's getting ready to crown them AFC North champs they'll go and drop one to like the Niners or somebody and just as soon as we've, we're counting them out, they rattle off a couple in a row here. So I believe they are in the driver's seat to win the AFC North, which is huge. But uh, it's still within a game or two of everybody in that division. I think it's between them and the Browns who's going to win win it outright. And I believe they have a showdown yet here as the season comes to a close. So that'll be worth monitoring. But nonetheless, this will be a huge step for Joe Burrow and the Bengals if they can get into the playoffs, if they can take the AFC North. And really, my favorite thing about this game is the Joe Burrow quotes afterwards that basically was like they were asking him, how come you're throwing the ball when you're up so high? Is is, is that very sportsmanlike, something along those lines? And he's like, I don't care. I, I, I'm You know, you don't like it, stop us. And I love that attitude. This is a league of grown men. This is a league of grown men doing grown men things. Nobody's here to save people's feelings. We're not handing out participation trophies. We're here to win football games, and we're here to do it the way we see fit. And if that is 500 yards through the air when you only got 14 uh, players on your defense, so be it. Stop us. I love that attitude. That's the kind of demeanor that's missing, I believe, from the NFL nowadays with everybody being friends with everybody. So it's a real throwback game for the Bengals. And on the flip side of things, the Ravens are – it's, it's looking pretty bleak for the Baltimore Ravens. Ever since Lamar's been out, they, they haven't seemed to been able to engineer much offense at all. He's missing this week again with, a, with an ankle injury. It sounds like he may be back for this week against the Rams, but you're going against the Rams, so you're going to need to be at full full tilt as it is. And really, this Ravens team hasn't been at full tilt almost all season. They've been missing a majority of their team especially that defense they're down to like just about practice squad guys on the defensive backfield so I find it hard to believe that they're going to squeak out a win this week we'll get into that in our prediction segment but it's not looking good for the Baltimore Ravens I believe they're on the outside looking in right now or they're very close to it so uh, John Harbaugh and company put up a valiant effort for most of the season with some of the injuries they've had but it's starting to catch up with them now. Our last storyline from the this week's action is going to be the the Chiefs embarrassing the the Pittsburgh Steelers. And really this was not a game at all. This was this was extremely embarrassing for the Steelers. I think they had 3 points heading into the final the final quarter there and they scored a garbage time touchdown when they're down by 30 plus. They end up losing 36 to 10. And really this this Chiefs team is extremely dangerous at the moment. Their defense is looking like a completely different unit from who was showing up the first four, five, six weeks of the season when they were on record-setting terrible pace. Uh, Patrick Mahomes ends up getting 258 and three touchdowns, and really he does it without any any of his big targets. Travis Kelsey didn't play in this one. and I believe Tyreek Hill was a very uh, – <laughs> what's the word I'm looking for here? I don't want to say negligible, but it's a moderate game for him. He had two, two receptions, 19 yards. He was almost a non-factor. And you got guys like Byron Pringle, six catches, 75 yards, and two touchdowns. Uh, Derek Gorse, three catches, 61 yards. Mikol Hardman, three catches, 31 yards, and a touchdown. So they're doing it without guys that are marquee names. Uh, Clyde edwards later hit Pay Dirt, nine carries for 27 yards. I think he might have exited with an injury in this one, so hopefully he's good to go. Uh, just because they're a different attack, they're a different type of offense when these teams are playing this 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 shell too against them trying to take away some of these big plays when they can turn to him and really pound the rock with him they're a different type of offense in this Andy Reid scheme and when we flip it over to the Steelers man this is this is the team that we thought they were all season is a team that's getting just blasted out of the water by good teams like this uh, I keep hearing it over and over on all these different shows all week that when you look at the Steelers team you're like man this team's bad and you look at their record and they're like 7-7 seven and seven and one. And you're like, how does that even happen? And I, I 100% agree. When you look at this team, the only real playmakers they have on offense, is, I mean, it's Najee Harris, Deontay Johnson, and that's about it. Chase Claypool's really disappeared over the stretch. Juju Smith-Schuster's missed most of the year. Uh, Pat fryer he, he's a rookie. I mean, you can't expect too much out of this guy. So it's, it's really been an interesting case for these guys all season. As they continue to struggle, Uh, I believe Mason Rudolph got in this game. It was so bad that they pulled Ben for a while. And in what seems to be Ben's uh, Cinderella season here where he's trying to go out on top, get into the playoffs, I don't know if it's going to happen. I don't even know if they're going to make the playoffs. They're another one of these fringe teams that's looking to get in in those four through seven seeds in the AFC. So I believe they're on the outside looking in as well. So... They got a lot of work cut out for them here. They're gonna to have to rattle off a couple wins and hope for a little bit of help as well. Just because that that tie is really gonna end up uh, hurting them down the road here. When they when you play the Detroit Lions, that those are games you gotta win. And when they don't, they end up coming to bite you in the end. And on the flip side of think the Chiefs, uh, they're the top seed in the AFC. This is, I mean, we talked about it all season about how are are the, are the Chiefs done? Are are they not the same team they used to be? and they've kind of evolved mid season here and they've kind of found ways to win that we aren't used to seeing them win. Like I said, a lot of these teams are playing this shell coverage on them, taking away these big plays. They've really turned to the ground game. They've really turned to the short passing game to kind of counteract some of that. Uh, Patrick Mahomes taking what they give him instead of trying to force things and uh, get turnovers on the year. So hats off to them for being able to evolve their game and become more dynamic and a better football team in the long run. So, that's gonna be it for our storylines this week. We're gonna jump right into our unlikely hero of the week. So for our Jameis Winston Unlikely Hero of the Week, I wanted to make sure we got this game in here somehow in some capacity, just because it was a huge, uh, huge game in terms of playoff seeding and bad teams beating good teams. And it's it's gonna be the Houston Texans beating the San Diego or excuse me, the Los Angeles Chargers. 41 to 29, and really our unlikely heroes coming in this game. And it, it'd be easy to go and take a look at the stat line here and take Davis Mills, but at this point, Davis Mills is looking—he's looking all right. I wasn't a huge believer. I still am not. I still need to see more from him. But I think the name of this game in your unlikely hero of the week comes in the ground game. It's going to be Rex Burkhead. 22 carries, 149 yards, and two touchdowns to add to two catches. Well, he didn't have any yards for catches, but he did have two. But that's a huge game uh, for this team, this team that when you look at it, it's just a terrible bottom five roster. I heard that they had 22 guys out to COVID. And when you're looking at a team that's only got three wins on the season, uh, having 22 guys out due to COVID, you're thinking like this is a blowout. But instead, they come into the house here and they they get a huge win over a, a, a team that's a legitimate playoff threat. Uh I leave this game having some serious questions about the Chargers. But hats off to the Houston Texans. I've never been a believer all season. I wasn't a believer in their head coaching hire. And they get a really gritty win against this team. They get 41 points. This Chargers defense does not look like the same unit that held off uh, the Kansas City Chiefs earlier in the year to really kind of put them on the map. And the Chargers are another team that's kind of flailing here as of late. It seems like they get it up for the division opponents, but now they're kind of falling back toward the pack. I know that they're still in the playoff picture as it stands. I believe they're like a 4 or 5 seed, but as we mentioned a couple times in the pod already that it gets really muddy. It gets really muddy in that like 4 through like 8-9 range, and you don't want to be caught on the wrong side of it. But to get back to the unlikely hero stuff, Rex Burkhead phenomenal guy that's been traveling all over the league. He's played for the Bengals, he's played for the Patriots, he's at the Texans now. He's in a backfield with like four or five different guys that have all had playing time in their NFL career and really stands out from the, the pack here. He, he really kind of grabbed that job by the, by the horns this week. And hats off to him, 149 yards against a divisional, or excuse me, not a divisional opponent, but a, a playoff team in the AFC Conference. That is That is some serious stuff, and that's some big-time wins. That's something that you can build off of. And I know everybody wants to lose for playoff implications, but wins like this galvanize teams. Teams don't look, go out there looking to lose every week. They love to go out there and win. So hats off to them. They get a big one this week, and it's really behind the legs of Rex Burkhead. Taking a look back at Week 16 here before we make our Week 17 picks, uh, we ended up going 10-6. and six. We had a couple tough breaks, like the, the Chargers game, uh, the Seattle game, the Denver game. Uh, the Niners game. Some really close ones that we ended up uh, dropping, but we still ended up 10-6. and six, So we're kind of hitting our stride here. A couple of those fall in our favor, and it's another really good week. So we're like I said, we're we're starting to catch fire. We're starting to see how things shake out and see how things really appear to be in the NFL. So it's it, I think it's getting a little bit clearer as we get closer to the playoffs. So looking ahead to week 17 here, we don't get any Thursday night or Saturday night action this week. We get a full Sunday slate. And leading the week off it's going to be the New York Giants at the Chicago Bears and really when I take a look at this game it this might be the most unwatchable game of the week this is this is going to be an ugly one it's uh two teams that have below average defenses with young or inexperienced quarterbacks to pair with just outright rosters that haven't lived up to their potential and when I'm taking a look at this one, I'm, I'm seeing a game where it's Jake Fromm or Mike Glennon versus Justin Fields. And I'm not really sure which way I want to lean here. So that's why I'm going to go with the home team. I'm going to go with the Chicago Bears uh, just because I think the Giants looked absolutely awful against the Philadelphia Eagles team that was, has been pedestrian in the past. So that gives me a little bit more faith in the Bears. So give me the Bears over the Giants. And that takes us right into the second matchup of the week. It's going to be the Jacksonville Jaguars at the New England Patriots, and the Patriots have dropped a few in a row here, and uh, they really need to get a, They need to get one back here, and it's a, it's a great time to get it right against the Jacksonville Jaguars here, who have really been reeling. They really have no identity on offense, and I seen a stat the other day that Trevor Lawrence has thrown one touchdown pass. Excuse me, one touchdown pass since Halloween. Yeah, so you heard that correctly. It's been two months and there's only one touchdown in there. And now that James Robinson's out, things aren't going to get any better for him. Give me the New England Patriots. I'm I'm calling it at home by at least three scores here. So Patriots over the Jags. That takes us right up to the next early game action here. And this one might be the best game of the of the at least the early slate for sure. It's going to be the Chiefs at the Bengals. And this is going to be. Uh, a knockdown drag out fight about between two offenses that have really hit their stride as of late. As we talked about earlier, Joe Burrow has the huge monster game where it's like fifth all time in single game passing yardage. And Patrick Mahomes has really found something here. He's been able to really get by without Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill having big games. So it's going to be a huge showdown. It's just a matter of whose defense can slow down who. And, I'm I'm gonna zag here. It's gonna be a, a little bit of a it, I suppose I kind of stole that from Bill Simmons there, but I'm gonna zag here. I think a lot of people are gonna be in on the Chiefs here, and I just think the Bengals are playing for a lot more at this moment. Uh, the Chiefs got their playoff berth locked up. They're in the number one, the driver's seat for the number one seed, and I think the Bengals are gonna become ready to fight. And they looked really good last week against the depleted Ravens team. So give me the Bengals over the Chiefs this week. And that takes us into another great matchup here, and this one has some big-time playoff implications as well. Uh, Dolphins are fighting for their playoff lives. The Titans are already in, trying to fight to win the South there. And the Dolphins' defense, don't look now, is exactly what we wanted it to be this year. I say week in and week out. They're really starting to find out and kind of get back to their identity here. And I know as of late, they've they've kind of had a little bit of a ground game going. There's a little bit of a shared effort last week against the Saints and it wasn't much, but the week before they I think it was Duke Johnson goes for a buck twenty for him, and they get Phillip Lindsay off the scrap heap. That well, sounds like Miles Gaskin's gonna be back this week. So they kind of got a three-headed monster back there that they can kind of lean on, kind of like what the Philadelphia Eagles do in their running back room. And two has always has done a really good job of taking care of the ball, not throwing uh, terrible interceptions. And on the flip side of things, uh Titans still without Derrick Henry. Uh Tannehill's been efficient when he takes care of the ball. They can pretty much stay in any football game, and their defense has vastly improved this year with Jeffrey Simmons and Harold Landry leading that unit. For this week, I'm going to roll with the Miami Dolphins here. I think their their defense is kind of hit, pushing the right buttons and getting in the right spots and getting those turnovers and holding some, some teams. I know the Saints really haven't had much on their offensive side of the ball. But they're they're holding teams to where they need to be, and they're winning the games they, the way they need to be. And I think they're finally going to get that big-time quality signature win, and they're really going to make a a really mad push for the playoffs here. I think they need some extra outside help, but they're going to start getting it right, and I think it starts this week against the Titans and really proving to the league that they, they belong in this conversation with the playoffs. So Dolphins over the Titans. Taking us into the... Next game of the early game slate, it's going to be the Las Vegas Raiders at the Indianapolis Colts, and it sounds like Carson Wentz is most likely going to miss this one. Uh, I have some serious concerns of who's playing quarterback for the Colts if Wentz isn't in there. I'm not by any means saying that Carson Wentz is elite, but I, I think he's a vast improvement over who their number two option is going to be. And the flip side of things, Raiders, as soon as you think they're dead, they're not (laughs) i heard bill simmons on his pod call him the michael myers of the nfl football where they've been dead how many times but they just keep coming back they keep following you and that that couldn't be more true because this team i've thought they were cooked for weeks and then they come out and they beat a denver broncos team who was on the fringe looking in for the playoff race so who are they i'm not exactly sure but if carson wentz goes Uh, I'm I'm taking the Indianapolis Colts just because I think he's done a good job of taking care of the ball, and he's just a huge improvement over who their number two option is. At at this point, is it Sam Ellinger or or Jake Fromm? Either way, I'm not believing in that. Uh, I know Jonathan Taylor is the heart and soul of that team, but when you have no other option other than him, you're going to start seeing a lot more loaded boxes, and I don't think that either of them guys is going to be able to take care of a loaded box and I really think that Derek Carr can get in a groove here. You can see Jonathan, or J- excuse me, Josh Jacobs, really start to make an, a name for himself here late in the season. And I know this defense isn't very good for Las Vegas, but I think Max Crosby and Unique and Gakwe can really get after it, especially with those those uh, inexperienced guys under center. So, if Wentz is in, give me the Colts. Wentz is out, give me the Raiders. Taking us into a divisional showdown for the early slate. It's gonna be the Philadelphia Eagles at the Washington football team. And the football team looks completely lost. Uh the embarrassing showing that we've seen on Sunday night football. I don't I, I, I I'm I'm all the way out on this team. I had them winning the East uh when I knew that Fitzpatrick was gonna be a steady hand under center, being able to push the ball down the field to some of these weapons. But Curtis Samuel is not worth the $10, $11 million they're paying him. Logan Thomas, obviously out with a knee injury. Uh, McLaurin can't shoulder the load by himself. I mean, he's a true number one, but when there's pretty much nobody else on this team that can really take some targets and you know draw some of the defensive coverage away from him, there's not much you can do. And this Philadelphia Eagles team runs the ball really well. They really do a good job of taking care of the rock and controlling the clock. They kind of got a three-headed monster back there with uh, Miles Sanders, Boston Scott, and Jordan Howard. And Jalen Hurts does a good job managing the game. He's looked a lot better in the second half of the season, in my opinion, than he did in the first half. So that's the progression that you want to see out of that position. So give me the Eagles on the road as they further make their playoff case and heading into the end of the season here. And we get another really solid showdown. It's going to be the first late or late afternoon game, and it's going to be the Broncos at the Los Angeles Chargers. The Chargers lost a stunner to the Texans, as we mentioned earlier, something that nobody, I don't think, in in the league saw coming. And I, I think we're going to get their best shot here. Drew Locke's uh, probably going to still be under center in this one, I believe. And I don't really think it matters. I don't think the Broncos score enough points, really. To, to make anything happen. The only way they can win this game is if they really lean into the ground attack, really lean into the ball control, and play the defense that they're capable of playing. And I just I don't see them doing that. I don't see Drew Locke protecting the ball enough, or even if it's Teddy Bridgewater being able to push the ball down the field to score enough points to keep up with this Chargers team. Uh, give me Justin Herbert, Austin Eckler, uh, Keenan Allen and company making a huge bounce back game against the Denver Broncos at home. So Chargers over the Broncos, which takes us into the Texans at the 49ers. The 49ers lost a tough one on Thursday night to the Colts. And that there's no no shame, no harm in that one. The, the Colts are a really good football team, and they're really a contender in my mind when they're playing their best football and the Niners, they're getting a lot of guys back on both sides of the ball. Their, their defensive backfield is a little scary. But in, luckily for them, they're going up against Davis Mills, who I know he's looked good as of late, but he's still Davis Mills. There's a reason he went in the third round. He's still a little rookie quarterback, and he's still playing for the Texans. Uh, Rex Burkhead, great feel-good story. Uh, Brandon Cooks, Nico Collins. None of those guys are flashy names. Maybe Brandon Cooks. But I don't. I just don't think that they have the same star power, the same talent that the 49ers do. in Nick Bosa, Eric Armstead, uh, Fred Warner, um, all these guys all over the field. And it sounds like Jimmy, Jimmy Garoppolo is not going to go uh, due to his hand injury. But now we get a chance to see a healthy Trey Lance and see what he can do. And he's got a ton of talent. And he's he's so quick with the ball. He's got an absolute rocket arm. I think we're going to see a – a full array of packages, a little bit more of an expanded offense than we did last time for Trey Lance. So give me the Niners over the Texans. And I think Trey Lance is going to look really good in his first game here. Back from uh, the bench, I guess I, you could say, since he never really lost a starting job. It, and now he's got a little bit more practice on his belt. 49ers over the Texans is basically what we're going with. Which takes us into the, the runner-up most unwatchable game here. And I don't know what happened to the Seattle Seahawks. I don't know what happened to Russell Wilson. I don't know if they're kind of just balling it in and, you know, playing conservative, keeping their guys healthy, and just finishing out the season since they know it's a lost season. But the Lions have a ton of fighting them. Uh they almost beat the Falcons last week with David Blau and Tim Boyle playing quarterback, which I don't know if there's anybody else in the league that has that much dedication to to win football games like that. Uh, sounds like DeAndre Swift might be back this week, which is huge. He's the he's the best playmaker on that offense when he's there. And Amon Ross St. Brown is really coming on as of late. I'll I have to check the stats. I know I called it out that he's he's due for about seventy targets this year. He's got to be approaching that number, if not past it. And he's really looking like a a, a long term piece in that on that team. So give me the Lions over the Seahawks. I know I took them last week, but I, I'm I'm hoping Jared Goff's back here. They get a little more stability under center. And we'll take the Lions over the Seahawks, taking us into one of the better games of the afternoon here. It's going to be the Cardinals at the Cowboys, and don't look now, the Cowboys are really starting to find their stride as well. That defense looked elite against the Washington football team, which a lot of people kind of roll their eyes and say that's the Washington football team. Everybody's going to look good against them, and you know that that's partly true, but. I, I really believe in this team. I think Dak needed to have a big time confidence booster, bounce back game, and he did. He I, I haven't been fantasy football, so that's how I know, but I think he had like 30 points before half and definitely worthy of it. He had over 250 yards passing and three tutties in the first half. And I think there was a Cooper Rush sighting in the late in the second half. I don't know. It was it was a dumpster fire, so I turned it off early. But Really, I think the defense is their calling card. When they play lights out, this team is extremely dangerous. And on the other side of things, this Cardinals team has completely lost their identity. They they need a win in the worst way at this point. And it's it's not going to be easy sledding this week, especially traveling to Dallas. Uh, the good news is, is they get James Conner back, but DeAndre Hopkins is still out. And he is a driving force in that offense. He makes Kyler Murray look better, makes uh, the running game look better. He opens things up more for Christian Kirk and Zach Ertz. He's just a very key piece of that offense, and they don't have it. So give me the Cowboys over the Cardinals. I think the Cardinals, things are going to start getting real murky for them here, and it's not going to look up anytime soon. So Cowboys over the Cardinals. We get another divisional matchup here with the Carolina Panthers at the New Orleans Saints, and... This game is <laughs> – I know the Saints are trying to fight for a playoff berth here, but I. they have Ian Book under center here. We're talking about Alvin Kamara being their emergency quarterback. I would like to think that we're going to get some Taysom Hill back and that we're going to get Trevor Simeon, one of them guys under center this week. Uh, if it's Ian Book, I'm all the way out. But it's. I, think, I believe those two were in uh, COVID protocols, and they should be able to get cleared and removed from the list this week. And if that's the case, I'm going to take them nine times out of ten over the Carolina Panthers when the Carolina Panthers are trying to do a platoon two-quarterback system here with Cam Newton and Sam Darnold. And I just am dumbfounded with the slide the Carolina Panthers have took, and it's gotten quite ugly here in the second half. I still have a lot of faith in their defense. They have a lot of really good young pieces there, but this offense is... Stuck in mud and it's it's ugly. So based off all that, give me the Saints over the Panthers. I'm with a little bit more stability under center this week, which is going to take us into the the Sunday night game. It's going to be the the Vikings at the Packers, and the Vikings always seem to bring their best game for the Packers. Uh, I know Kirk is. Had some pretty good uh, passing games against them. They don't always come out on top, but it seems like him and Justin Jefferson really have a connection this last couple of years, and they've really seemed to carve up the Packers' defense in recent memory. Uh, it sounds like Delvin Cook's going to be back off the COVID list as well. And we've seen what uh, Nick Chubb was able to do to them last week. So I think they're going to get the Vikings' best shot, but when it comes to December football at Lambeau uh, with Aaron Rodgers under center, I don't have... There's not many teams in the league that are going to be able to go toe-to-toe with them and come out on top, especially with some of the reinforcements that they're going to be getting back soon. So I think they're going to be firing on all cylinders. They're going to be hyped up with a lot of these guys coming back. It sounds like Jair's practicing. I, I don't think he'll play this week. But I, give me the Packers over the Vikings at home in December in the frozen tundra on a primetime game, which is going to end the slate here with... Monday night game, it's going to be the Browns at the Steelers, and as we mentioned, the Browns last week lose a a real tough one to the Packers, and Nick Chubb looked phenomenal in it. He was basically getting whatever he wanted on the ground, had really good vision, really good job finishing runs, and probably was underutilized. They probably should have tried to capitalize him having a good game even more, and the defense didn't look terrible at times. I know Miles Garrett's been a little bit hobbled but uh, they they held the Packers to so I believe it was like twenty four points, so that's that's a pretty decent showing for the the tear that Aaron Rodgers has been on lately. And when we look at the Steelers, I think I think this is a team that's done. I think uh, you might see a little bit of fire because this is quote unquote Roethlisberger's last home game here if the rumors are true. But I just think this this team's done. They don't have much of an offensive identity. Their defense has got exponentially worse week after week here and really it's just TJ Watt put some pressure on guys and if you don't get home we're done so I don't have a lot of faith in the Steelers they can't stop the run they can't stop the pass and they gave up a ton of points at the Chiefs last week it threw like three quarters only before backups started jumping in there so give me the Browns I think they're a little bit more postseason hungry I think they do a better job of playing uh, that grit grind Uh, ground and pound, time of possession type of football, which really wins games in December here. So give me the Browns over the Steelers. So that's going to be it for the week 17 games. As we mentioned at the beginning of the segment here, uh, we're we're really hitting our hot streak here the last three, four weeks. We're getting a ton of games right. So make sure you're following along. Uh, I like to keep myself accountable. We're always mentioning our record of the prior week. So full transparency there. But like I said, we're getting really hot, so make sure you're hitting subscribe, make sure you're following along, make sure you're getting in on some of these picks. So for our extra segment this week, we're going to be doing a redraft of the, the NFL draft of 2021, so this previous year's draft. Uh, I'm going to do picks 1 through 16 today, and if we, if, if we like it, we, we kind of like the direction it's going, we'll do 17 through 32 next week but I wanted to make sure we got the first 16 in at least. So as mentioned, we're going to redraft the players basically based on my thoughts and how they should have went based on their performance this year and how the teams looked and what the team need was. So leading off the draft here, we're going to get the Jacksonville Jaguars. The original selection was Trevor Lawrence and really Trevor Lawrence, uh, this had a really rough goal of it this year. Uh, I know he's got a, ton a ton of potential uh, headed into the future and he's just looked so rough and it's been such a tumultuous uh start to his career in Jacksonville there he just hasn't looked great he's got he's still got the potential he's got the arm talent he's got a ton of athleticism and the right build for the job it's just I can't take him based on the supporting cast around him here so with the number one pick in the redraft I'm gonna go Rashawn Slater and it was actually a tough pick between uh, Rashawn Slater and Penny Sewell, but when you take a look, the Rashawn Slater has a little bit better PFF grade in terms of uh, blocking this year, and really, he Rashawn Slater's completely changed that Chargers offensive line in one year in. He's, he's one of the top tackles in this class, and he was getting a ton of Pro Bowl buzz as a rookie, which is huge. So... He's going to be my selection at the number one spot here. That's going to help fortify that Jags offensive line that's looked porous in front of Trevor Lawrence this year, which takes us right into the second selection. The second selection is going to be the New York Jets. Originally, they took Zach Wilson at this spot, and Zach Wilson, also, he's had an up and down uh, first season here. I, I believe he's had a couple injuries that kept him out for a little bit this year, but he's really looked good at times, and he's looked dynamic. The The gunslinger mentality, we've seen where he's able to chuck it down the field. He's used his athleticism to improvise, but at times he's made a lot, a lot of bad mistakes where he's throwing the ball to the other team a lot, not protecting it, and really kind of putting his his offense and his defense in some tough positions. So in the redraft, I'm going to go with another quarterback here, and I'm actually going to go with Mac Jones. And I understand that there was not a lot of love out there for Mac Jones at the time of the draft, but we take a look at it. We always talked about how Mac Jones is going to fit seamlessly in that Kyle Shanahan offense. Well, what do the New York Jets run? They run that wide zone scheme from the Mike Shanahan tree. Uh, excuse me, the Kyle Shanahan tree. <laughs> uh, we got Matt. Le- or excuse me, Mike LaFleur is the OC here. He, he hails from uh, San Francisco, so why not give him the ideal quarterback everybody was talking about? I don't. I think that's kind of low hanging fruit here. But the reason I like Mac Jones here is he protects the ball, he's extremely efficient, and he does a good job of getting it out there and kind of just taking what the defense gives him. And when you're playing with a running back like Michael Carter like they had this year, uh, he's really looked great at times, and he's been able to do a lot of different things. And it's really going to put some stress on the defense, and he'll be able to take those shots. He'll be able to hit Elijah Moore, Corey Davis when they get open. Uh, He's going to be able to take advantage of some of this stuff. Uh, It was tough not to go offensive tackle here but I decided to go Mac Jones just because there's no other quarterback on this Jets roster that's even playable at this point. This takes us to the number three selection in the San Francisco 49ers and the San Francisco 49ers have had a really up and down season as well too. They've looked really great at times. They have looked really bad at times and their first round selection, Trey Lance really has hardly played at all this year. And it's, it's hard, to, it's hard to judge them. I, I, I don't know if I would have took a project quarterback that high like they did, but here we are, and I, I think we can get a guy that might even have a higher ceiling than Trey Lance here, and we're going to pull the trigger on it. I'm going to go with Trevor Lawrence, which Trevor Lawrence has still got some of the same athleticism as Trey Lance, maybe not to the same degree, but he's got just as much arm talent, and he hails from a bigger program. And even if you want to play Jimmy Garoppolo, you can you can bring this guy along behind him. Look at the look at the up and down uh, hills and valleys he's had this year in Jacksonville. We go Trevor Lawrence, we plug him into that San Francisco offense. This is a whole other uh, caliber of player. Um, this is like a once in a generational prospect, and we're giving him to Kyle Shanahan to mold him as he likes. So I think this is a perfect opportunity for Trevor Lawrence. Who knows? Maybe he ends up playing halfway through the season here, and he's ready to go. Maybe he's a little bit. Uh, Ready to go faster than Trey Lance. So Jimmy G holds the seat for eight weeks, and then they win six, seven games. Then here we go, plug and play. So Trevor Lawrence is going to be the third selection for me here for the San Francisco 49ers. Taking us right into the fourth selection, it's going to be the Atlanta Falcons. They ended up taking Kyle Pitts. And in this redraft, I'm going to go the same route. I'm going to take Kyle Pitts again. Uh, I feel like he's been... The featured target in that offense, especially knowing what we know about Calvin Ridley, who has been struggling with some of these mental health issues as of late. I think that this was the right selection. I think we we keep it there. He's got a huge target share, and he's really been the number one option there for a majority of the year, and he's been pretty good. He's going to the Pro Bowl as a rookie, and I believe the rookie receiving tight uh, tight end receiving records definitely within grasp here. So I'm going to stay with Kyle Pitts in the redraft which brings us down to the Cincinnati Bengals and the Cincinnati Bengals originally took Jamar chase at this selection at number five. And once again, we're going to go with the same selection. I think Jamar chase has been a transcendent talent at wide receiver for them for all of this year. Really? Uh, He's making the pro bowl as well. He's been a dynamic down the field threat. Uh, He's had great chemistry with Joe Burrow, which is exactly what we expected. That's exactly what this offense needed. They're, they're extremely dangerous through the air now with uh, Chase, Boyd, Higgins, and even Osama's look really good at tight end. So we're going to stick with Jamar Chase at number five. I think that was the, the right goal with it here. Which is going to take us down to the Miami Dolphins, who also selected a receiver at number six. It was Jalen Waddell. And when we take a look at this here as well, I know we could go quarterback here. Zach Wilson still on the board. Trey Lance. But when we take a look at what Jalen Waddell's doing, I believe the the rookie uh, receiving receptions record is within reach for this guy. And I know that a lot of people comp him to Tyreek Hill, and he's got a lot of the same skill set. I don't know if we've seen the same stretch the field ability this year as we were expecting, but that'll come with a, as he gets used to how the defenses are going to be playing him in coverage, playing him with press, playing him on, on defense with the shell over the top. But I'm just impressed what, he, what kind of playmaker he's been with the ball in his hands. And I definitely think this is the right selection as well. So in the redraft, with the Miami Dolphins at six, we're going to stick with Jalen Waddle, Which takes us into number seven. And if we're just taking a look here on the board, we still have Zach Wilson. We still have Trey Lance available. And the Detroit Lions the original selection, Pinay Sewell, is also still available. So when we're taking a look at the redraft... They opted to go offensive line just because there was not a quarterback available to them that they thought was going to be a difference maker. And now that we're here at the board, I think we've got a better option available. So we're going to go Zach Wilson to the Detroit Lions here at number seven. And I know Zach Wilson's looked very rough at times this year. He looks more of a project. But there's a lot of flashes that I've really liked this year. And at times I think he's looked like the best quarterback in this class because uh, he's he's able to push the ball and do more down the field than Mac Jones has. So at number seven, we can take a chance here, since there's a, a guy on the board that they like, to take a pass on Penny Sewell and really get the opportunity to get the signal caller for the future, especially knowing what we know about this 2022 draft class. So the selection at number seven, Zach Wilson to the Detroit Lions which takes us right into number eight in the Carolina Panthers, who originally select J.C. Horn with this selection. And the Panthers have had a very, very rough go of it this year. It's been an absolute nuclear disaster for them. They haven't been able to get the success that they were expecting. I believe they were in win-now mode, and it's very clear that they are not winning now. So we're going to bypass the J.C. Horn selection here. And we got a couple, couple of different options. We can go the quarterback route. We have Trey Lance on the board. We also have Justin Fields on the board. We can go the offensive tackle route. Penny Sewell's available. And we can even go the, the cornerback route in Pat Surtain, who's looked a lot better than J.C. Horn, since Horn's missed most of the year due to injury. And in my opinion, the route we're going to go here is going to be Justin Fields um, at quarterback here at number eight. I definitely think that Justin Fields, we've had a bigger sample size than we've had with Trey Lance. So that's the number one reason I give him the edge. And I know offensive tackles look very rough. They've had a different one starting every year for the last few years here. But I really like Justin Fields' potential. Uh, Same thing for him. He's had really brilliant flashes where he does some really dynamic things. He's got some serious throwing power. He's able to put the ball in places that I don't think a lot of people expected him to. He's had a lot of boneheaded mistakes, which seems to be kind of the trend with these young guys. But I think if you get him in the right situation here, uh, maybe Joe Brady's still employed if he's got a quarterback like this under his helm and not playing with, like, Sam Darnold or Cam Newton. So I'm going to go Justin Fields at number eight to the Carolina Panthers, which takes us right into number nine, the Denver Broncos. Denver Broncos ended up selecting Patrick Sertain, at number nine, and it's actually bode pretty well for him. Uh, Sertain's looked really, really good. I believe he's got three or four interceptions on the year. Should be making an all-rookie team, and I don't know if I'd go that route again just based on how we what we've seen from their offense. This offense has been looking like it's running through mud for most of the season. They haven't been able to really do anything dynamic, and they have a ton of playmakers on that side of the ball. They have Jerry Judy, Cortland Sutton, Noah Fant. Uh, They selected K.J. Hamler last year. They just have all this dynamic talent and they have no one to get them the ball and I mean to add it with Javante Williams and Melvin Gordon in that backfield this is a team that's ready to win now on the offensive side of the ball and I just think that they're really extremely being held back by their quarterback position which is why we're going to address that right here. We're going to take Trey Lance at number nine and really I understand that we don't know much about Trey Lance. I know he's an athletic freak, and I know he's got an absolute rocket arm. I don't know exactly how efficient he's going to be. We've had a very small sample size. They really haven't opened up the playbook for him. But really anything at this point has got to be better than the quarterback they're running out there. And the impact you're going to get if you hit with a Trey Lance is way far greater than you're going to get with a cornerback like Pat Sertain uh, shutting down receivers on the other side of the ball. So I'm going Trey Lance at number nine to the Denver Broncos. Then to number 10, we get the Philadelphia Eagles, who ended up selecting originally Devonta Smith, wide receiver. And Devonta Smith looked really good. There's been three receivers that have really stood out from the pack this year. Jamar Chase, Jalen Waddell, Devonta Smith. Surprising absolutely nobody. They were three of my favorite prospects heading into the draft. They were all three top ten guys for me. And really... I I like the selection of Devontae Smith here and I really want to keep it. But since we've kind of passed on a couple of different guys here and pushed some guys down the board, we've got a better opportunity for them. And when we take a look at this defensive backfield, we got a really big big time chance to shore this up. But I'm gonna go a different route. I I'm gonna go with Micah Parsons here. And what we've seen from Micah Parsons is he is an absolute wrecking ball, and he might be the best defensive player that's come out in the draft the last few years. He's got some serious Lawrence Taylor potential. He's, he's literally rewriting record books, and I wouldn't be surprised to see him not even win defensive rookie of the year, but defensive player of the year. Could you imagine a player like that rushing the pass or being, being multiple on this defense and flying all around all over the field? He's not just an off-the-ball linebacker. He's a pass rusher. He's an off-the-ball linebacker, and he's even got a little bit of coverage ability. I don't really necessarily like his coverage ability, but he's able to do it. And it's, it's not necessarily a high level, but it's, nonetheless, it's at a level. So give me Micah Parsons at number 10 to really help change his Philadelphia defense. Which takes us down to number 11. The Chicago Bears ended up taking Justin Fields. They had traded up. And then our redraft here, all the quarterbacks are gone. And it's kind of a mess here, but there's one glaring hole on this team that we can fill with a guy that's been pushed down the board to the Chicago Bears, and it's not necessarily his fault he's been pushed down. He's played at a very, very high level. It's just that there's a lot of guys that have been impact players ahead of him here and playing at positions of high impactful need. So I had the Chicago Bears selecting in the redraft, Penny Sewell, offensive tackle, and really... This would prevent them from taking Jason Peters and signing him and rolling him out there. Jason Peters, all-time great at offensive tackle, but I think he's just past his prime here. He's like 37 years old. He's been often injured. I think that regardless of who you have under center, you can roll Andy Dalton out there for a year. If you have Panay Sewell blocking his blindside, he's a whole different type of animal, and you'd be able to run the ball much more effectively with David Montgomery with him in the run game. So give me Panay Sewell, number 11, to the Chicago Bears which puts the Dallas Cowboys on the board at number 12. They had originally traded out of this spot or traded into this spot, traded back with the Philadelphia Eagles, and they selected Micah Parsons, which in this redraft, Micah Parsons is now off the board. So he's not really an option here. But if we think back to how the draft originally went, we thought that they were going to go defensive backfield. And there is options here at that position. There's actually a really, really good option that I really wanted them to take originally in the draft before trading back. And he actually was selected right in front of him. I'm going to go Patrick Sertain to the Dallas Cowboys. Now, if we can picture this defense with Trayvon Diggs looking as good as he has with Pat Sertain on the other side of him, uh, excuse me, Pat Sertain Jr. uh, The second, this is an extremely dangerous defense. Um, Imagine trying to throw at Trevon Diggs, and he's picking balls off left and right. He's got 11 this year. Now you try to go opposite of him to who's on the other side, and you got another shutdown guy in Pat Sertain. This, this defense is set for at least the next six to seven, eight years with two lockdown corners, and I really like that potential. I think that this is a huge opportunity for them. You miss out on Micah Parsons, who's been a next-level defender for them this year. In our redraft, you get Pat Sertain. That's a good consolation prize. So, Patsertain number 12 to the Dallas Cowboys. Which takes us into number 13, the Los Angeles Chargers. And they ended up selecting Rashawn Slater. And Rashawn Slater has looked extremely good this year. There's a reason why he went number one in our redraft. But the only bad thing is here is he's not available in our draft. So they have to go a different route. And really, the route that I'm thinking that I want them to go and we heard a little bit of buzz about it during the draft, was going to be wide receiver. And I think if you can get another, another threat on this offense, you don't have to select Josh Palmer late, and he'd be a bottom-of-the-depth chart type of guy. You can get some serious production from another guy, and I'm going to go Devonta Smith. I think that that could really, really change the outlook of this uh, this offense. It makes Mike Williams a little bit more expendable after the season. And really, it's, it's a huge opportunity for the Chargers to get an, another uh, threat for Justin Herbert in this year's draft. So give me Devonta Smith to the Los Angeles Chargers. At number 14, we saw the New York Jets trade up to try to get one of the premier players in this, uh, in this draft. And they, they took the first interior offensive lineman, Elijah Tucker, who's looked very, very good this season. And I'm going to go a different route for him, though, here, just because I think that there's been some, some different impact players that have really should have raced up the board on draft day. And in our redraft, they're going to. I'm going to take Jalen Phillips for the New York Jets at number 14. Jalen Phillips has looked really, really good as a pass rusher in that Dolphins defense, who's been just absolutely scorching hot lately. Uh, I think that he could be a, a different type of defender, uh, a multiple guy along that front that can really change Robert Sala's defense and really be an impact player and help make this defense look look better. That's been very atrocious at times. And we didn't know Carl Lawson was going to tear his Achilles in training camp. So that would help alleviate some of the loss here there as well. So I think we got a really great opportunity for the Jets to fill a position of need while also getting one of the best talents on the board as well. So give me Jalen Phillips at number 14 to the New York Jets which is going to take us to the selection number 15, the New England Patriots. And they originally took Mac Jones. Uh, Mac Jones is not available in this redraft. So uh, I'm taking a look at the board here. and The options are getting a little slim for top-end talent. So when I take a look at it, we're going to zag here a little bit, and it's going to be a guy that's looked really good as of late, and it's going to be a guy that – there was a lot of rumored interest in the New England Patriots in the later rounds that they wanted. (laughs) And I'm going to go Davis Mills with the number 15th pick here. Uh, Davis Mills has looked really good as of late. It's, It's starting to look like he could be the starter next year at an end of the season. And I think it'd be a great opportunity for him to win this job outright. I think he does a lot of similar things to what Mac Jones does, just not quite at the same level as Mac Jones and in Josh McDaniels system I think he could be extremely electric and be even maximized even more. They got a little bit more playmakers here in New England, so I think he could really prosper in this uh this offense with the New England Patriots. So give me Davis Mills at number 15. For the 16th selection in our redraft here of the 2021 NFL draft, it's going to be the Arizona Cardinals and they originally selected Zavin Collins. And I believe Zaven Collins, is. I mean, he hasn't been like a huge force on the defense, but there's a lot of big names out there. And he's been an all right uh, selection, so I, I'm not going to dog it, but we're going to go a different route with this one, just to get a guy that I think's been a huge impact player that was kind of taken towards the bottom of the first round. And we're going to go with uh, cornerback Greg Newsome. So in the redraft, the Arizona Cardinals are getting a cornerback. I know, I believe Marco Wilson's been getting a ton of run for them this season on the defense. So rather than uh, play a guy that's uh, been a fourth-round draft pick, you can get one of the top-end rookie corners behind Sertain and get some serious production. He's looked really good for the Cleveland Browns this year at times when he's been given the opportunity. So instead of having him play the kind of this platoon role with some of these other guys that they've had there, you can roll him out and have him start uh, day one, and he can look pretty good for this Arizona defense. It could be one of the, the missing uh, linchpins that they need on their, on their defense. So sub him in, and then you'd be ready to go on that side of the ball. You'd have some, you'd have the ability to kind of stick with some of these big-time receivers within the division. Uh, you're going up against Cooper Cup, Odell Beckham, DK Metcalf, TJ Lockett, uh, Debo Samuel. You have all these different kind of threats, Brandon Ayuk even. And instead of just having one or two guys to cover him, uh, now you can pair some guys up with like Byron Murphy and all these other guys in the secondary that they have, and it could pair really well. You could have a guy for the future. So. That's the route we're going to go with the 16th selection. So that's going to be picks 1 through 16. Uh, let us know if you guys like what we did here with the, the redraft. I've been waiting to do this one for a while, but I wanted to make sure we got as close to the end of the season as possible just to kind of get a good sense of who's what and who's looked like what this season. So make sure uh, you let us know if you like it. We'll do the other half next week. So that's going to be it, folks. Uh, That's all we got for today's episode. I appreciate everybody being extremely patient with me here. I know we're running right into like the end of the week where uh, we haven't got the episode out yet. So I really appreciate everybody being patient with us. It's been an absolutely crazy week for me between work, uh, my kid, and trying to get this podcast out. I've been running around like crazy. So once again, always hit subscribe. Uh, We we are running episodes out weekly. We're doing some some cool stuff. And I know the football season still going on. We're still getting late into the season where football starting to matter. But we're also going to start hitting on some of this offseason stuff where we're getting teams that are getting prepped for the draft. They're hiring new head coaches. So it's going to be all kinds of fun stuff coming up. So make sure you hit subscribe and tune in next week. And we appreciate every single one of you guys. We'll see you next week.